Hey, what's up? You're listening to the podcast edition of The Cutting Room, the show where we talk to industry-leading marketing professionals about their content marketing philosophy, process, and pregame before they edit an article live. I'm your host, Tommy Walker, and thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Jacob McMillan, the director of content at owner.com, an all-in-one solution for restaurant owners. And in our conversation, we talk about why distribution first is his favorite approach to content marketing, how to become objectively the best within a search result, and infusing soul within search-optimized content. I hope you enjoy the show. So let's just jump straight into it. Tell me about your content marketing philosophy. Yeah, so my content marketing philosophy is kind of two parts. Uh, One, distribution first. So everything starts with distribution. How are we reaching the end reader, the end user? Who are we speaking to? And then how can we create the best content on the internet? You know, the best content anywhere to attract readers through that distribution channel. And it's kind of that simple. It's just about, you know, who are we reaching? How are we going to reach them? And how do we create the best thing available to reach them? Okay. So the best thing is very subjective. How do we define that? What is, what do we define as the best? How are we reverse engineering these distribution channels? And uh, I've got my own ideas on this, but like, how's that working for you? Tell me about that process. (laughs) Totally. So there's a subjective element and then there's also an objective part to it. So subjectively, there's just, you know, the idea of, is this impressive? Is what we're creating more impressive? Is it more attention grabbing? Is it more comprehensive than everything that's out there? Are we putting the work in to really make this exceptional directly in comparison to the other content that's out there? Now, as you mentioned, that is subjective. Some people will look at multiple pieces of content and come away with different ideas about what's better. So that is also paired with the more objective element of how is this performing for the distribution that we have chosen? So SEO, very simple. Is it is it ranking in the top three and then converting leads or whatever other purpose that we are wanting, you know, to have the content do? Social, is it, you know, bringing in engagement and then turning into leads from there? Sometimes tracking leads with social is a little more tricky. So you might just focus more on driving engagement and followers to the, you know, to the channel uh, or to your page or your profile or whatever it is. You know, different different distribution calls for different objectives and has different standards or metrics of success. So you have to combine those two. You know, if there is content that ranks that if you were to look at it, you wouldn't necessarily think this is very good. And in that case, uh, I don't think you're hitting the mark, even if you're ranking. And you'll often see with posts like that, that, you know, you look at what's ranking in the top couple posts for whatever reason, maybe it's link building, things like that. You go in, if you're unimpressed with the content, it's probably not going to result in, you know, you signing up for a lead magnet or whatever, you know, getting on a call, scheduling a demo, whatever the conversion objective is, you know, even if you're ranking, it's not going to be reached. So it's, so it's a combination of those two things. And it's a combination of a subjective and objective element. And kind of on that note too, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on what the definition of success is there. Yeah, for sure. So the way that I like to think about it, and I'm glad you asked, is content to me has one of four goals, right? And you have to create with one of these goals specifically in mind is one is to generate conversation. 
The other one is to generate God. Now you've put me on the spot. <laughs> so to drive conversation, to drive shares, to drive leads or to drive sales. Yeah. And if you are doing one of those things and one of those things specifically, you have a very, very clear idea of what it is that you're trying to do. And then all the other stuff in my mind becomes a downstream success metric. So if your whole idea is to drive discussion, right, you're going to generate traffic as a result of the discussion that you're trying to start because people want to engage with it. You might drive shares, which is great, but that's not the primary goal. The primary goal is to start a conversation. So if you're creating that in mind in reverse engineering your distribution channel to create that subjective, and I want to dig into that a little bit more, something that is subjectively uh, worth having a conversation about, then you have this sort of very narrow thing that you're going, this is what's successful. Yeah. I think, does that answer the question for you? Totally. And I, yeah. I in copywriting, we kind of have this concept that any piece of copy needs to have one objective, right? Yeah. Like if you're trying to do multiple things, you're going to be less effective at, at any one of them. And I think, right. I think the exact same should be true for content as well. There should be one single primary objective and then everything else becomes like you mentioned a downhill objective yeah. or benefit, but you you're using that number one objective as the metric that you, you know, use to gauge success. Yeah, you, it, here's something that's interesting to me, and this is, I, I think it's related, but we're talking about subject subjectivity, and I know you're a huge SEO person, right? Like, like you've got a very strong SEO background, you've yes. done a lot there, there's a lot of conversation around what's happening with SEO these days, but something that I know from seeing you in some of the SERPs that I've tried to compete with you in, is they are subjectively better in those positions than some of the other me too type content that goes out there. How are you infusing more soul, right? Which is really what it is, balancing the soul with the making the big G happy. I think it just comes down to like taking the search intent more seriously than anyone else. I saw a tweet, I think his name's Brooklyn Nash. Nash, he was on our yeah. show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I. I like, I see his profile picture and I just kind of have the mental image. I couldn't remember like if I was pronouncing his name right. Um, but like he he was talking about how, he, well, one, it was kind of a two-part thing. He made a joke about how content marketing is just easier journalism that is paid better. Mm -hmm. And then later he he tweeted about um, how he, he read a, a Harvard Business Review article. And then instead of just parroting what was said in this article from a few years back, he reached out to the, the Harvard professor who was quoted in the article and asked him if he would be open to sharing like an updated take for, for 2022. Yeah. Um, and the guy was like, yeah, I agreed to come on and actually be interviewed by him. And so like, to me, what that represents is that's an attitude that's not, I need to come up with information to fill an article or to fill an objective or to get this piece shipped. It's I'm going to go find the best possible information out there and create the most useful, the most up-to-date, the most relevant, the most authoritative piece that I can make to answer this you know, search intent. And that's the approach that I've tried to bring to content, both with my own stuff and to a, a more limited degree with freelance clients and then now definitely in-house. Obviously, when you're working freelance, you have budget restrictions and things like that that go into just 
how much time you can invest in hitting that top quality. But for my own site, you know, like I have, I have articles up there that I spent 60 hours putting together, Mm -hmm. you know, a single blog post. Um, and like you create a moat for yourself when you do that. And in some ways, just by the legwork, because who else is going to invest 60 hours into a piece of content? You know, there's not many people. And even if you do finally find someone who does, there's not as, you know, you're going to have potentially, you know, months, potentially years ahead in, in terms of a head start on them. So it's just like, like going into these, you know, going into this content and really thinking, how can I create something more useful? You know, I like to think of my con any sort of instructional or how to content. I like to imagine myself teaching a classroom of people and asking like, you know, what's the context that I need to create? What are the questions that are going to come up? If I was teaching this live, what would people be raising their hands and asking along the way? And which of those things should I take the time to really dig into in this piece? Which are things that make more sense to, you know, uh, kind of play off to another article, something like that. Um, but just really approaching it from the reader standpoint, standpoint, from the user standpoint of what are they looking for? What is the search demand here? And how can I genuinely make something that is more helpful in answering this question, more helpful in delivering this result than anything else online? And you just, you know, over the years, I've seen a lot of people say they want to do that. But when it comes to actually investing in doing that, they're never willing to actually, you know, to go the extra mile, to invest the extra dollar, to spend the extra hour really delivering on what they feel is going to be the best output. Yeah. And what it sounds like is what it sounds like you're saying, too, is that you're taking a step beyond just remixing all of the remixing then remixing all the remixing that's happening in most of the search results. Now, (laughs) here's something that's interesting to me because we've talked about this on the show quite a bit, too. Um, How are you infusing not just that uh, that soul, but also the perspective? Right. Because that's what lacks, I think, in a lot of content marketing. And I think what really lacks, and maybe maybe this is kind of a second part two to this question, right? How are you injecting that perspective? But then also coming from a freelance background, how are you talking to people about allowing that perspective to exist? Because a lot of freelancers that I know have had that beaten out of them that they're not allowed to have a perspective. Mm -hmm. They have to play it safe. So kind of part one, part two, go. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the part one to that is you always want to, you always want to have on the ground expertise infiltrating your content. So obviously in doing the stuff that I have on my website, it's, you know, I, I, I was a freelance copywriter for 10 years, you know? So like that's all firsthand, anything I'm talking about in that, you know, it comes from direct firsthand experience. Um, So that's, that's easy there. When you're talking about a freelance environment or, or more recently, you know, what I've been tackling at owner.com, one of the big reasons that I was interested in, in going in house with them is they brought me in contract to do this, like kind of like four page super guide. And as I was building that, like they have so much on the ground restauranting experience and restaurant marketing experience on the team that like, if you read through, and I actually recently, like we just published this guide. And if you go through it, it's 25,000 words between the four pages, you go through that 
every single line of that is like proven on the ground information. And this is all coming from my, you know, I wrote this thing uh, having zero restaurant marketing experience, but I have enough marketing experience to understand the, you know, the, I guess the substance of what's happening. And so instead of me just like trying to like pull stuff out of my ass to fill in something that I don't know, I was working hand in hand with people who have actually done all this. And we're, you know, we're also coming from like two years of firsthand data with thousands of restaurants through the platform. So every little piece of this is from, from real data, from real marketing, from real restaurant growth. And finding a way to tap into that is I think, I, even just having the attitude that that's what I'm going to find instead of I'm just going to make something up or, or remix something from what I find on the front page. You know, that's like, that's the difference between the 95% of content that nobody will ever read and the 5% that drives billions of dollars in revenue, you know, across you know niches and locations and industries. And to kind of connect that to part two of what you asked, um, how do you, how do you, how do you handle that as a freelancer? And the answer is sometimes you just don't. Um, like, <laughs> if, if you're getting paid a hundred dollars for a post, like it doesn't make sense to be doing, right. you know, like it's just you're you're you don't have the budget to put that time into it. And so what you're being paid for when right. you're in that case, let me ask you a better question then. Yeah. All right. How are you managing that expectation upwards? Right. Not necessarily from the freelancer perspective, but from maybe an on-the-ground in-house content marketer perspective, how are you saying upward, hey, we need to have a perspective that we can take? I don't think I'm fully understanding your question on perspective. Cool. Sure, sure, sure. So let me just jump on here. So in a lot of situations, I've seen this with a lot of in-house executive teams or even leadership teams are afraid to take a position where it's this is who we're for and this is who we're not. Mm. Right. Or this is our stance on the market. So instead of going, you know, hey, here's what we think, you know, SEO is dead. Right. We'll just say that some companies might not be willing to take HREFs, for example, might not be willing to take something that has that strong of a point of view. Mm. Right. Yeah. How, as somebody on the ground, are you encouraging or would encourage somebody to say upwards, manage upwards? to say, we need to take a perspective, we need to take a stand. Yeah, so that kind of directly connects into what I was just mentioning. Um, I think part of the trick of being a successful freelancer is holding in balance a growing understanding of what you're aiming for with the reality of what you're dealing with in the present. Okay. Um, So for example, the vast majority of situations you will have as a freelancer, you are not going to have buy-in for greater investment for quality. You are not going to have the budget to really do everything that you'd like to be able to do to make this the best piece possible. You are not going to have the license to say what you want to say, to take a stance, to bring perspective. And the key there is you you have to be able to exist in that environment and make your money in that environment while still aiming and working towards something better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, You have to be able to you have to be you have to take an active stance towards finding the opportunities or creating the opportunities for yourself where you can put your best foot forward. Um, I had times where I would put more investment into an unpaid article, an unpaid guest post 
than I would into a paid piece of content because I was I was taking the initiative to put my pet my best work on a certain publication that I wanted to attract, you know, my target market, people mm-hmm. who I thought would be interested in investing in a higher quality of writing. Similarly, I had, you know, points in my career, um, one in particular where I, I took a 40% pay cut to put most of my attention on a single client that I knew would give me the opportunity to do my best work and to really see what I could do on, you know, in this case, in a SEO and content marketing um, vein. And so like, you know, finding the opportunities to work on the projects that are going to let you really go at it while still not like burning yourself out trying to deliver a thousand dollar work on a $200 budget. You know, that right. that's part of the, part of the balance of being a freelancer is, is, um, you know, go get paid, do, you know, do what, do what you need to do on the gigs that are available to you while continuing to keep your mind thinking about how can I, how could I do better and how can I go secure the type of clientele that will let me do better and will, you know, pay me to do better. And eventually moving yourself into more of a consultative role instead of a transactional role, right? Yeah. Um, Now I want to take some of that and we got to, we let's move on to the next part of the thing. Let's talk about your process and how that plays into the planning process for the content that you're going to create, both on a macro level for like an entire calendar, but also on a micro level for an individual piece. Yeah, so so up to this point, my, my wheelhouse is SEO. So my process is very specific to SEO. And in that, I'm looking for, you know, what's the search intent? Um, what are the keyword opportunities? Um, and then, uh, beyond the keyword opportunities, how, how does it connect to non-keyword driven content? Because um, one of the things that's nice about when you're building these sort of, you know, what is it? S- spoken wheel, you know, yeah, hub and spoke, hub and spoke, hub and hub spoke. And spoke. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, when you're creating these like interconnected, like content silos, you can kind of do a mixture of, of SEO driven stuff and stuff that you feel you know, is more nurturing stuff that doesn't necessarily, cause you're, you know, SEO is the start of bringing in email leads. So it's very connected with the email marketing on the back end. So you, you know, you can create content that's, that doesn't need to rank. That's going to be going to, you know, nurture people who did come in through the rankings. So you can kind of create these mixtures, um, but just finding what is the demand, you know, what are, what are people asking? What are people looking for? What is the information they need? How does it connect to what I'm selling? Um, that's that whole process is where it starts. How are you thinking about intent? Right. We, we, we banded this term around a lot in our industry. Yeah. But there's, there's, I know what I do, which is like, okay, I think I see the key phrases, but then like, I have to meditate on why somebody would search for that. What, what are we, what are you doing? What's your process for that? It's mostly just common sense is how I approach it. I don't really have anything more sophisticated than that. When I look, um, and the, the the caveat there is common sense in a way that like you you accept what Google's telling you sometimes and you reject what Google's telling you other times. Um, so like, for example, sometimes you look up a keyword and it's very clear what Google feels is the intent of that keyword based on what's ranking. It's, yeah. you know, you, you got like 10 different articles that are all essentially going in the same direction 
in, in spaces like that, it's usually Google's accurate a lot about what people are looking for. And so your, your job then is simply to make a better version of what's there. In other cases, sometimes you get a mixture of things. And, and in those cases, it's not uncommon for none of the things ranking on the page when you think of it in a common sense you know, perspective to actually be fitting what's being asked or what's being searched. And so when you kind of bring common sense to the table with those, sometimes you can just leapfrog all that content by creating something that's actually answering the question in that search. And you, you really run into that a lot when you're talking about searches that don't have like a tremendous amount of, of like volume, um, but maybe have like higher intent, like more low volume, high intent type stuff that um, is getting picked up by content that's not really aimed at it. It's aimed at adjacent stuff. And so you can come in there and make something a little more targeted, a little more of a scalpel approach, I like to call it, and just, and nab, you know, nab this little batch of, of high intent searches by creating something that's, that no one else is really creating for that, for that query. I love that. And that is a fantastic answer. I want to, uh, we need to get into, let's talk about your pregame, right? Let's, you've, you've thought about, you've thought all of this through, you've had this sort of macro approach, you've thought through the intent, you've written the piece, or you've gotten somebody else to write the piece. What's your pregame before editing your article? And then we'll jump into the edit from there. So, my approach for editing other people's content is a bit different than for editing my own because I'm I'm more of a first draft editor than a second draft editor on my own content. So okay. I I very much like redo what I'm doing along the way. It's not uncommon for me to like get 75% of the way through a piece or a collection of pieces and then realize there's a better way to structure it and like just like break everything apart and rebuild it, delete pieces, add pieces in. And that all happens before I really formally finish the first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's that, I don't, you know, I, I can't really add a whole lot there when it comes to editing other pieces, kind of like what we'll do, you know, what we'll show here. Um, I'm really just looking for like, what's the purpose of this piece? And are we hitting that purpose? You know, and along the way, are we are we thinking about how the reader is going to engage with the piece along the way? And that's just something you'll see even with the piece that we're about to edit. You know, there's a lot of really amazing core content and thought leadership in this piece. And it's just being structured and delivered in a way that does not really facilitate the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's mostly what I'm looking at. Um, the other thing is, if I'm you know, if I'm if I'm evaluating writing skill as I'm going through and editing it, I'm looking for is the is the core substance there. I mean, I get, that's really once you know what you're trying to aim at, that's kind of the you know the core. The the first and foremost thing is is this worth worth reading? You know, right. is there information here that is that is worth taking the time to read? Fortunately, in the piece you sent me to edit, the, the answer is absolutely yes. So it's a it's like the perfect example of you know, really great core content. We just need to restructure and uh, adjust some things to deliver it in the way that it should be delivered. I try with the articles that we give our guests to have something like that because there are definitely definitely things where you're like, there uh, there are like three things in here. It could have been five words, right? (laughs) We've got 800 words that surround one five word core 
uh, idea. We have a uh, we have a question in here, which is, what are your top three tools for search intent insights? Top top three tools. Top three tools. We'll start with your top one, and then see if anything else comes from there. I'm I'm a I'm a big uh, AREF stan, as they yep. say. Um, <laughs> I've been using them forever, and I haven't found anything better. Um, ahrefs.com if you're not familiar with it. It's just kind of an all-in-one SEO tool. Um, I mostly just use them. Um, occasionally, I'll use, I think it's iSpionage or iSpionage or I-S-P-I-O-N-A. Yeah, espionage or iSpionage, I think. Espionage, okay. To, to look at like, uh, to evaluate a site, like what a site's doing from a PPC perspective, because yeah. obviously there's some interplay with SEO and, and you know, AdWords and things like that. Um, but for the most part in creating content, I'm all evaluated just with the one tool. Um, I'm not like a full stack SEO tools guy. I also <laughs> have like never, and I've, I've been doing SEO for 10 years. I've never been the guy who like could tell you what Google's last update was. You know, like I don't pay attention to jack shit on anything technical. Like for me, it just seemed it just seemed like people wasted so much energy on that. Like my thing was like if if I just write better content, Google's gonna progressively get better at finding my content over the years. You know, like so there's no reason to try to game Google. I'm just gonna create the best content and subjectively the best content and see what happens. Uh, and you know, whether through <laughs> Sheer ignorance, or I'm just a genius. It's worked out, you know. So one or the other, <laughs> maybe both at the same time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that for a second. One of the yeah. things that I will say is I use Ahrefs a lot. Um, I like that for doing the keyword research and finding all that. The other thing that I'll do is match that up against what I'm seeing on Twitter for similar key phrases, and also like Reddit or Quora. And I hate when other people say that, right? I hate it because it sounds like such a standard go-to answer. But I think the real thing that's interesting is finding the discussion that's happening around these actual phrases that people are using to then let that inform what the intent is behind somebody. Because like you were saying, like sometimes Google doesn't really know. I do a lot of search term Reddit at the end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, because Reddit's Reddit's uh, insight search is so bad, but you can just use Google, you know, and yeah. it's a great place to see what are people actually saying about this? What's the actual on the ground sentiment? And I it's use real. It a little more as, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is unfiltered. <laughs> unfiltered. I use it a little more as a consumer than I do as an SEO. Yeah. Um, but my, like, yeah, when it, when it comes to SEO, I just... I don't feel I don't feel like people fail at SEO because they don't know what they're supposed to do or they don't know how to rank or they don't know what they're actually targeting or they're targeting the wrong keywords although that that can be relevant. I think it's again I think it all ties back to what I mentioned earlier. People just like they feel that making middle of the pack content is profitable and it's not. Like it content paid advertising you can like just get whatever you want in front of people. Yeah. But when we talk about SEO, it is a zero sum game. You know, if you are not in those top three spots, you you might as well be throwing money into the trash can. Like it, like it is, it is a. You, if you go into SEO not trying to be the best, it's a waste of time. 
Yeah. Um, and there's other games you can play where you don't have to be that good. But when it comes to SEO and SEO focused content, like you have to go into it trying to be the best in the space. And, and if you're not, if you're not serious about making that effort, there's, there's, in my opinion, there's just no point. And it doesn't matter how much technical SEO, how many links, how much, whatever you're going to get beat. And I know this because as someone operating on a shoestring budget, I was beating, you know, hundred million dollar software companies with massive SEO budgets. <laughs> like it, you know, it, and it's not because I'm that smart. It's just, I was taking more time on the content than the person who was three margins deep at the agency writing the content was actually doing. And so that's, that's, I feel like that's what SEO comes down to is just who, who is taking the content more seriously. Yeah. And who has more like, and this goes back to what we were saying before, who's got more soul injected into it, right? Like yep. you can't, and I've seen this with big companies, you can't phone it in. So many people phone it in and it's just part of the cycle, part of the hamster wheel, and then it's being phoned in. All right. We are at the half hour mark. Let's jump straight into it. And that's it for the podcast edition of The Cutting Room. If you'd like to watch while Jacob edits live, click on the link in the show notes and you'll be brought directly to the edit on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to attend the next live session, sign up for our email list at thecontentstudio.com forward slash The Cutting Room or by following the link in the show notes. Thank you again and we'll see you in the next one.